As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. All right, today we have Jamie Boyle back, and he did a tremendous podcast with Wildman. It's got six-figure views, and he went over some of the biggest names in true crime, in particular, Northern true crime, and there's a Lee Duffy doc out, and I watched Mick Sorby's interview in it and absolutely blown away by his own story, So Mick's book is Hartlepool, Born and Bred. We are going to be publishing the audio book of that, but the paperback and the ebook are presently available worldwide on Amazon. So all the links for Jamie and Mick are in the description box below the video. Jamie's channel, which is called... Warcry Publishing. has got uh, over 5,000 subscribers in a very short time. It's growing rapidly. So if you want to get more details, more stories about Lee Duffy, which I know many people are fascinated by, we are going to be talking about Viv Graham today as well. If you want to get way more stories in much more detail, I would suggest people go down in the description box and subscribe to Warcry Publishing. And also, Jamie's such a prolific author. We're talking on the way up here. I thought I'd done a lot with 15 books. Are you at 20 already? I'm on my 20th now, but 20th. there was actually 19 plus three documentaries within four years. And, and we reckon you got about 100 in you. Oh, unless I get struck by lightning. But um, <clears throat> the last time I was on a show, I was ravaged with anxiety. Uh, wild man, God rest, uh, God rest him, he was giving me a bit of advice. And, uh, there he is. There he is. I'm sure he's looking down. And uh, I went away and uh, I thought, right, what do I do? And I discovered a certain thing. We're not really quite allowed to talk about it at the minute, but... Um, Yeah, there's a big difference to me now, and I'm I'm kind of cured. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Mm. Um, so, can you, you know, so a lot of the viewers are familiar with you, Jamie. Mm. Perhaps some people aren't familiar with Mick. Are you able to just say a little bit about Mick before we bring Mick in? <coughs> yeah, how, how um, you came to work with him, etc. I was um, making the Lee Duffy Too Far Too Soon documentary. Obviously, myself, I was, um, although I grew up for, for most of parts of my life in Middlesbrough, I never met him. Uh, so what what I had to do to make them books to become successful, if you like, was to to find out, to weed out the people. I've, I've met and sat with people in the end, of, they didn't really know him because it's their claim to fame. When um, Mick was uh, Mr. Hartlepool, if you like, or he, he was a serious figure. And uh, Richie Horsley said to me, Jamie, what about putting Mick, Mick Sorby in? 
So myself and the, the team at Fat Cat Productions, Dan Walker, Paul Suggett, we went over to to mix. Um, got talking to him, and and it was it was almost like you know, obviously, you know, you've got to be very careful in this game who you can trust and work with. I have certainly over the last year, and uh, Mick uh, Richie Horsey said, "Jamie, you've got to do a mixed book. It's one hell of a book." And as I'm, you know, the name Mick Sorby didn't mean anything to me. So I googled. I had to look at all the forums, um, and what, what I quickly realised straight away was, yes, he was a whatever hard man and whatever. He was never a professional criminal, but the the masses of people loved him, uh, and I think that's really paid off in his book because it went absolutely crackers. So that was my first um, how I come ac- come across Mick, and I go Richie Horsley, Richie, if you're watching a, a big deal, because. Um, yeah, he's just been, you know, there's a lot of people out there who kind of bullshit and that. And Mick was never one of the, for these, but at the end of the day, he was a professional criminal, but he had to put food on the table for his family. And the only way he knew was um, was to stand on the doors in the maybe the toughest town of the lot, certainly in the northeast, the Hartlepool. And I dare say that guy really earned his money. Uh, his book's fantastic. He's been, you know, it's it's been greatly um, well received, and uh, that's how I come across Mick Sorby last year. So, what's Hartlepool like, Mick? <laughs> it's fairly rough. Um, Not fairly; it's rough as well, hell. Probably rough then. Yeah. But you you learn to fit in with it. Do you know what I mean? It, it, you, um, I was a dom for close on to fifty year, and uh, I got to know everybody. Everybody who was. Like the ragged lads in there, they got to know them, and they, did, they left me alone. Didn't bother them. Yeah. So, what was it like growing up there? Like, how how was it for you? Uh, what did your parents do? Like, how did they meet? Me mum, my mum and dad, um, didn't, long time ago they met. Um, but my dad, they got married, and my dad was in the army, and he, he went had to go to Egypt, and then when he come back, like, he thought me would have been messing about, thought I wasn't his. <laughs> I don't know she was, I don't know she was like that, I don't know. I wasn't old enough to understand. But he was, he was fairly heavy with me. I'll be honest, he was fairly heavy with me. Like, he'd do things like about 12 year old, he'd take me out in the garden, fight me like a man and like knock me out. Do you know what I mean? Really? Yeah. At what age? About 12. Bloody hell. Um, and was that for like, did that have you like walking on eggshells? Um, it did, yeah. Like, do you know, like when you're a kid and you go to bed, if you'd been out drinking, I'd get myself under the bed out of the way of him so he couldn't find me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Things like that. Things he'd done, like, one day, it was on the boxing day, and um, it was nine kids, and I'd, I was babysitting. My mum and dad had gone out, and he'd come in, and he was drunk. And I'd fell asleep, because he never come about two or three o'clock in the morning, I'd fell asleep. Yeah. And the fire had went out, and he said, um, take all your clothes off, push me out. So I was that deep in the snow, put it out, out, lock me out. I had to get in a dog kind of sleep with the dog to keep warm. I was out there till nearly didn't and the next day and I couldn't go anywhere, I had no clothes on, so I had to wait until yeah. the back door was opened and to get in. Holy shit. And my mum didn't dare open it because yeah. she would have got beat up. Right. Yeah. Wow. Another time, they'd been out drinking and they came in and my mum, she was limping, I thought, oh, he hit her again. I thought, oh, I couldn't wait to grow up to beat him up. Mm. I honestly, like, I used to have nightmares about him, you know. And she'd come in and she was limping and she, it, it, not wrong with the foot. He hit it with a show that Ayla was stuck in the back of red. I knew that um, they'd been out drinking to come in and he 
do you know, on, on your CD, you put a leg on the thing and drop down like one of them wrestlers do, broke a leg. Holy shit. Because she said she was looking at somebody else. What the hell? But I'd never known him to have a fight with a man, never. Yeah. Oh, he said, knock me about all the time. Yeah. He said, let me, you know, he had a allotment. And it was about 10 allotments on the row. He said, let me out to them. He said, hey, you're big. You're with him this weekend, Diggy's Garden. Like that thing, you know what I mean? I had to go and get the sequel for all the lockment all this so we could keep the greenhouse warm. Oh. What, was, what was his job after the war? He didn't do it. Didn't do anything? No. Yeah. No. He could, uh, talk, he could talk a good job. Yeah. yeah. Did he get in trouble for, with the police? No. Never. I've never known to be in trouble. Never. It was all domestic violence that yeah. in the household. Yeah. I, left, I left it about 14 year old when they lived in a lockment. Yeah. Not where he was, a different site. Yeah. Do you know what he even done? My gran, his mother, used to let me in and feed me when I was, because I wasn't at home, and get a bath. And he found out, he went around and beat his own mother up and let me in the house. What the hell? He just, he wasn't a very nice fella. No, it doesn't sound like it. No. And what was the allotment like that you moved to? <laughs> it was horrible. <laughs> yeah. It was just a cabin, all it was on was a cabin. A uh, cabin? Yeah. And was there other, were you living with other people? No, 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 by myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. how was life at school for you then? I used to get took the piss out all the time because I'd go with like big holes in my shoes and things like that. Yeah. You know, I was probably the scrubbiest kid in school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And were there any subjects that you were interested in? Animals. That's the only thing I was interested in. Yeah. In the end, I'll be honest, in the end, the school would give up on me. Did it? And they used to send me out to collect. They had, had rabbits for the kids at school. Yeah. They'd send me out collecting rabbit meat for them. But I was quite happy doing that. So did you have like pets and stuff then? Dogs. Dogs. Yeah, yeah. Was that your thing then? That like, yeah. kind of like, you know, you've you've had all this violence from your dad, and um, you're probably looking for some kind of love, aren't you, from somewhere? Well, so, I suppose I did start. I suppose like a crutch for me. Yeah, I think it was. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the things he done to me. Sometimes I wake up, my head was stuck to the pillow, the blood where it bashed me. What the hell? Yeah. So did there come a point in your life then where you thought, right? I'm going to get that bastard when now. When I was about 17, 16, 17, he was a big fella, my dad like, Was he? Big lad. Yeah. And um, I was in the Raglan pub, and mum and dad, and they were sat, say, about 10 tables away from me, and my dad got up and he went. He went. So I, I went on to see my mother, because I'd talked to my mother, but, and I said, well, where's he gone? She said, oh, someone keeps banging. My other brother was at home, and my youngest brother had phoned up and said, that somebody was banging on the door at the time, so he went down to see what it was. Yeah. Anyway, I said, oh, I'll walk you round home, man, when you're going. And I did. And he, he soon opened the door. He said, who's that you with? A boyfriend. And it was me, his son. I mean, anyway, I'd, I just said, listen, I've had enough of this. Get yourself out of here, son. Howie, let's get out. what he said to me? Oh, you know, I'm disabled. I can't fight. I'm old What? Now. Yeah. So you've done eight women? Yeah. It's, um... <clears throat> Obviously, when you read it, Sean, Hartlepool Born and Bred, you know, when I, me and the wife were proofreading it, it was like, Jesus. Now, everyone's aware of back in the yeah, 50 or 60, yeah. even 70s, if your dad beat you up, then it was just part of life accepted. Yeah, you know, when, I wasn't yeah. the only person who went through getting beat up. But it, it's not right. Did. When you read that I book, wasn't by it, myself. It's, it's really hard. It's really prison, disturbing. Yeah. Oh, you wouldn't, yeah, it's, you know, and then you think, why would your mother stand by such a man like that? And in the end, he left her. You know, at the end, when he was hitting me, you know, I just wouldn't cry. I just wouldn't. I thought, he's not winning. I'm but, sick of beating me. He's not going to win. Don't give I've him got satisfaction. To win. Yeah. Yeah. 
you were saying, Jamie. Yeah. Sorry, Jamie. Yeah, he's uh, it's it's just normality, you know. I mean, there's a lot of people I've researched. Obviously, Paul Sykes was beat up to a, you know, Lee Duffy, like you know, and yeah, it, it, it was just more accepted then than even the seven, and maybe even as late as the eighties, where where these days he would have been put into care, in my yeah. opinion, because when you do read that book, that's the last impression out of everything. You think, my God, how could Another human being treated his boy like that, um, and it is it is obviously when you read it, Sean, um, you're going to be put it out in the, the Kindle. It's really seriously strong stuff. Yeah, yeah. Did you start to like project that then in any way? Did you feel aggressive towards the world? No. I, when I started working the door, well, yeah, you're right in what you're saying a little bit. It put me in a, in that Ed's. Ed said, "What to do that kind of work? I, I, I just wasn't afraid of the job. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah, I loved the job. Yeah. You'd experienced so much violence, you were yeah. desensitised. So, how did you get your first door job? I went out for for a pint. I went to a place called the Manhattan Manhattan in Liverpool, and um, I called Danny Andrews, was working there, and he said, "We're short of a dorm. Do you fancy doing it tonight for us?" I said, yeah, "I'm interested." And I wasn't. Anyway, he said, yeah, we are sure. But I like Danny. I've gone well with him. I said, right, I'll do it. Anyway, I'd, I'd done it. And I thought, hey, this is me, this. Yeah. And were you getting in fights prior to getting on the doors? Just I, I was going for a pint and I'd, a couple. Because it's that way in Arnipole, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's that way more than any other place. Yeah. When I was growing up in the northeast, going around to the, like the amateur boxing shows, Hartlepool, for some reason, you know, I mean this in the bottom of my heart. When you go to Middlesbrough, Newcastle, Sunderland, Hartlepool was always that kids were harder and scruffy than ever, anywhere. Yeah. And I think that's what it capitalises in the book, nobody, doesn't it? nobody had nothing. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was just like you had to do something to make a living. Yeah. And I, I'll be honest, I found it easy way to make a living. Well, obviously I must have, I wouldn't have stayed that long, would I? How much did you get paid in the beginning? The beginning, I think it was in old money, seven and six. Seven and six. Yeah. You lost your shirt, that was your night's wages gone. Wow. Your shirt got ripped. Mm. That wow. happened a few times, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. So literally, if your shirts get ripped through escorting customers off the premises, that, yeah. that's your fault. Yeah. And yeah. you wear the knife for free. So what kind of challenges were there on the doors in the beginning? Um, we used to get a lot of colourmen coming down on a Monday night in the, the nightclub where I worked. That's yeah. uh, it's an area called Eastern Colliery, if anyone doesn't know it. It's like it, a... Eastern Black Hall Order. Yeah. But they can fight. Yeah. yeah, we used to be fighting all the time with them. They used to come down, but they used to come down in busloads. And you knew you were going to have to fight on the night. You knew you were going to have to. So it's you guys yeah. versus a busload of them. Yeah. How does yeah. that work then? It works to get some lumps and bumps out of it. <laughs> <laughs> what was the worst injuries you sustained? I got stabbed. Ran over. What, what happened on that day? Um, with the football, Darlington. Oh, God, Darlington. Yeah, there's a couple of in injuries I've had. I got stabbed. I'd been been working. I tossed these lads out, and um, I thought they'd gone. Anyway, when I come out the nightclub, I was walking home. You know, I do only lived about a mile from it, so it was only a short walk for me. I was walking home, and then this car pulled up, and I just recognised it straight away. I thought, well, let's get it on. There was. I thought there was only the two, but it wasn't. There was four. There was two in the back, but I didn't see them. And I jumped up, and I, I hit us a few times. I went down. I got back up, as I got back up, I thought, oh, what the fuck was that? It disturbed me. And another time, 
Herrick, the boss of the nightclub where I worked, he said, I'm open, didn't I, Mick? He said, I don't need one, Dom, will you do it? He said, Dalton to play Nightclub, we'll have loads in. He said, all right, but they'll only be for an hour before they go to the match. He said, so I'll pay for the full shift, but you're going to be waiting an hour. I was only there half an hour and I was in hospital. <laughs> was that a stabbing? No, no, they stamped all over me. <sighs> what they're doing, they're seeing to get these shots and seeing to drink some throwing them against the wall. So I said, stop it, lads, or you're out. And then I just got a load of stuff. I said, right, and one was having the most smoke, I just ran out and hit him. I thought, I'm getting a beat up here, so yeah. some of them are going to get it. Yeah. And they got me just stamped all over me. And I, you went back to hospital on that occasion, got uh, patched back up and went back yeah. to work, didn't you? Yeah, I patched me up at the hospital and I went back on the night to work. Yeah. So you hear about this strategy then of like, try and knock out the mouthiest one if yeah. there's like a lot of them. Does that sometimes work? It didn't that time. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there's another incident, Mick, we talk about in the book, or you do, was... Yeah. Um, He's leaving some kind of premises he'd been working at all night and there was oh, a yeah. car, just car followed him, followed him home and ran, a, ran him over. Ran me over then reversed reverse back over. And then reversed back. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. yeah. And what injuries did you sustain off that one? My chest, it, it hurt my chest. I had a full tie print on my chest. Went over your chest? Yeah. Mm. I got up. How was you breathing after that? Well, it, I think it was just adren adrenaline. Yeah. I got myself up and I... I tried to pull it down, couldn't, and I pulled, I don't know why I didn't, I pulled the wing, the wing come off the car, my hands. Jesus. But it drove off and I had the wing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What happened on the day when there were two murders at the place you were Well, I wasn't working. I wasn't working. Oh, you I wasn't, wasn't there was my day. time off, but yeah. my pal was, mm. and another friend of mine got four years out of it. For There's a bad heart disorder. Called, called. Was it Images? No, it was called... Um, Caspers? Caspers, yeah. That's where it was. Yeah, I mean, on the on the book, we've put the back of Mick, um, obviously in his pram, his usual leather jacket on, and there's a crowd and there's Caspers. And I think yeah. that epitomised a lot of, because this place was, was place. really, yeah. it, it, you know, it's, I mean, yeah. I've typed it up, but it's like, it literally sounded like, like do you know the band Star Wars? Where yeah. they just setting yeah. people yeah. fire and all that. And it's just, and it, it was a place where even all the, all the people in Hartley, some would refuse to do it. Yeah. And obviously he was the only guy you thought, well, you know, and and really you were getting paid a pittance for what? Yeah. I'll tell you what, one new year. I'd went in, I said, Eric, I said, where's you, the doorman gone? Where are they? He said, oh, Mick, they want to rise, they walked out. I knew he had to do it by himself. I thought, oh, God, I was lucky. There's a couple of friends coming in and they were staying the night, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I knew I had a bit of backup. But if they hadn't come in, I don't know what I would have done. I'd have stayed, I couldn't have left them. So on the day of the two murders then, was that just drunks fighting or was it gang-related or the, was it...? There'd been a fight inside the club. Yeah. They got put out and then the people who got put out went away and got weapons, come back with weapons. Ah. Yeah. And so, the other people who'd have been fighting with, um, when they went out, they all started fighting. Yeah. And uh, um, my pal, Philly Tobin, his brother got four years out of it. Bloody hell. He four, yeah, for, I, think, I think it was violent disorder, I think he got done for. But with it, somebody dying, it was. Mm. It looked a bit dark, you know, it looked a bit heavier. Hartlepool sounds like a proper gladiator school, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Why, why do you think it makes such tough men? The, the, we've never had no, honestly, never had no. There's never been loads of work there, nothing. You know, it's, mm. just, it's just nothing there at all. <laughs> yeah. I think, as I said, growing up in the, in the 90s, there was always... I've had a few friends that attend over professional boxing in the train, Hartlepool. And for all the places that I dare say it's probably a deprived area, they've always had boxing gyms and your, your headlands, yeah. your manor, the Hartlepool Catholic, Hartlepool Welfare, 
Um, oh, the, yeah, the boys will be, yeah. Yeah, the, 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 you know, and it's 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 not a city, it's a town. Um, you know, and it's smaller than Middlesbrough. It is a lot smaller than Middlesbrough. Yeah, there's loads of people interested in boxing like that, but Yeah, loads. but it's yeah. almost like, and sometimes, I mean, even, I think it says in, in his book, sometimes we were too poor, the kids were too poor in Hartlepool to be sent to boxing, so they'd just yeah. fight on the streets. Yeah. And uh, I, I've always thought, you know, the but from everywhere I've went in, in the North East, that Newcastle is really, you know, at a joke to him. It, it's, it's something, that the probably a lack of it mental to... You know, it's, it's just not normal that like, fighting such a yeah. big part in, in, in people's lives. Yeah, you know, yeah. I often speak to a close friend of ours, is Richie Orsley, and I was, I was talking to him recently about one man's book, I won't name, and he said, um, he said, you know what, that guy's full of crap. He said, Mick Sorby, we used to have more fights in the night than what that guy did. It was just your life. Both of them one night is nine. It's mine, fighting one on one. Wow, wow. So... Like, who were the big names back then that you would have doing the rounds? Well, Richie was one of them. Yeah. Richie Arsley. Um, what was it? I don't think there's any we couldn't deal with. Yeah. None. We couldn't de- there's none we couldn't deal with. You Dave Garside. And Dave Garside. Lee Duffy's and Vic yeah. Graham. And yeah. Uh, but Dave Ga- well, Dave Garside bought me out, you know, when I, was, mm. when I was going to prison. Dave Garside bought the firm up me. Him and uh, Terry Rich. But, um, they're um, two guys, I all right. Mm. And I'm going to say about Terry. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But obviously, I think he's referring to maybe the big names, like, the, you know, do you much to do with the Sayers or Lee Duffy and Viv Oh, I, they said, I, I went to work at the Raven Sunderland the day after dark for a lad called Gary Robb. Yeah. And uh, Jimmy Robb. And um, that's how I met um, Annie Buick. Billy Robinson, um, oh, a few lads, and uh, they used to come down. I'd to meet, have a drink with me. They'd say, I'll come down. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice of them. So you got into debt collecting and stuff. Yeah, me and a lad called Andrew Keenan. Yeah, we started over debt collecting. I done a bit with Richie, Richie Orsley, and then and Keenan come to work with me. We didn't, we were doing all right. It was. And do you have any hurry stories from debt collecting, or was it easy for you? Um, it's quite easy, to be honest. No, was it? Yeah. Bloody women punching you at one time. Oh, yeah. Though, wasn't <laughs> yeah. Well, I was working the door, and, you know, and what happened? This bang, bang, bang the door, and he opened the door, and there was a woman. I said, you can't come in, we're full. I said, when two go out, I'll let you in, and that's yeah. how it's going to be. I said, we're overcrowded now. Anyway, he opened, opened the door again to let two out, and as he opened the door, she punched me straight in the eye, and without thinking, I hit her. Not this clean out, poor little bugger. Bloody hell. Yeah, I, but I didn't just, I did it was just instinct. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm. You would just have a reaction, wouldn't you? Yeah. And the, the, the Sandro King I, I just spoke about there, it was at one hell of a doorman. Yeah. Honestly, he was. was he worked with me for about 15 years on the door. Was he that, just a natural fighter? Yes, yeah. 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 Very very good kid down on his side. Yeah. Yeah. So I watched, you know, Too Far Too Soon, this documentary about Lee Duffy. And um, how how what was your experience with Lee Duffy? Well, the times when I bumped into him, he was he was like people saying, "Oh, he, he enjoys going knocking Dorman out," but he yeah. never said a word wrong. I mean, me. to be honest, <coughs> he was really... you'd, you'd heard of him a lot more than you did. I, yeah, and that was because it's in the book. Mick was escorting two ladies out, uh, nineteen ninety or whatever. Oh, yeah. And the first thing they said was, "What's your name?" 
Lee Duffy's coming back to get you. Nothing happened. But, you know, in that time, he, he was the name, he was the force. And yeah. if that was, you you were, you were threatened a lot with that, weren't you? Yeah, a few times, yeah. Um, I was went to a different pub to work and um, this lad come in. And he's full of drugs, so I put him out. You can't have them in like that. Mm. They're going out. He said, wait, you will to shock you, Sobby. He said, where the fucking Duffy comes? Mm. You know what I mean? Just, and then... Oh, and then a police officer, this police inspector got on to Terry Rich and he said, can you come and see us? And so he said, fetch me with you. So off we go to see him. I didn't want to go because I have nothing to say to the police, do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm, well, to be honest, I don't like them. Mm. Anyway, off, off I goes. We sat in his house. He gives us a cup of tea and these biscuits. I thought, oh, something's going off here. Anyway, he said, uh, listen, Brian Cockrell and Lee Duffy are coming to take the doors out because they're all my doors. He said, uh, they're coming, that's when they're coming this weekend. So I suggest you go and see them first, right? I thought, well, why is he telling us this? And then he come out with, well, I'm not I'm not telling you this because they beat my son up. I thought, yeah, I said, Terry, leave your fucking tea, let's go. And mm. we went. Yeah, it was more of the authorities wanting you to do their dirty yeah. work, wasn't it? Another time, I was working in a pub called Images, and then um, I put these... Two lads out and the girlfriends or wives were there. I went with them, but the girlfriends them over the because you had to go to like a cellar bar over the top and over the top. So you're fucking dead. You wait till mixer be sees you. As you said, me go and get the daft cunt. You just. <laughs> when was the first time you became aware of Lee Duffy? It's a few years ago. I can't. I'm no good with dates. Yeah. But it was a long. I was working on the door when that and I've been finished. It was before I went to prison, so it's over over twenty years. Well, over 18 years. It's been dead 30 years coming up. Yeah. I think we spoke about it in the past and it, it, it was like the late 80s, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, was a, it was a while back. Yeah. What stories were doing the rounds when you first oh, heard the, about the him? The first story I got was of um, this lad who knew him very well. They called him Josh Randy. He said, oh, Mickey said, let's now bed me knock the doorman out. Mm. And I said, do you want me to go and see him? Go with you. He said, yeah, anyway, we went and seen him. And he was a gentleman to me. He was, honestly. I, I can't knock him. Yeah. He was really good. Yeah. And then I seen him again um, with the like called Mickey Blackwood. He, he was a pal of his. Mm. He was the same. He remembered me. He come over straight over and shook my hand. Yeah. I found him all right. Mm. I've heard stories about him, about what he can do and that. But What stories have you heard? What's the craziest stuff that you've heard? Uh, about just going around the dorm, knocking knock him out with one punch. Yeah. yeah. Multiple doormen yeah. on the same night. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Like in a row and stuff like that. The job didn't have me dig one, it might have been me, might not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just, you know, obviously, I mean, I never knew him, but I've researched him a hell of a lot. And that was, uh, I mean, one of my best friends at the minute is um, Neil Booth. And he's never, obviously, he was the Duff's closest friends, but um, as much as I would love him to, Neil's always took a backward step. I've heard stories, which are not, not for books and that, but I think with Duffy, he would. Um, he was a bit like Mike Tyson because he grew up in the late 80s when Tyson was at his peak and he basically knew the threat of violence is psychologically greater than the act. Yeah, it is intimidation. So he would yeah. beat a lot of people and, and sometimes when Lee was taxing people and he'd got the stuff and he'd be like, and Boovie would be like, hang on a minute, Lee, stop it, he's petrified. Well, he's give you his gear, you don't need to do that. But hitting the, that was probably meant more to him than the money because... He'd be going around saying the Duffs just knocked another one out, yeah. and he was, you know, in your neck of the woods, Mick. You'd say he was—he was the name that people yeah, threatened with. I wasn't would have, he? yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, he was the most one mentioned. Yeah. Definitely. And this is this is a young kid at the time. This is a lad who obviously died 26, just gone. But all this when this was happening was he got out of prison 24, 25, and obviously I mean, we'd, we were on the, on the way, weren't we? And um, he kind of declined in 1991. Shot in the knee, shot in the foot, had pepper on him. Now, the year before, he, when he got out of prison, yes, he was taking drugs and that, but he was he was just come back from 26 months in in prison. So, you know, I think back, back from the big difference from one year, 12 months, the last year of his life, he was more living on his, on his nerves because, you know... Everyone in Middlesbrough was out to kill him. Where that, I think he he did prefer to go up Newcastle with the Sears, and they had his back, whatever. And but Duffy was very well known everywhere, wasn't he? Everywhere, was just, yeah. You know, yeah. this is this is the day. You've, this is the time you've got to remember that there was no social well, I used, media. I used to work in a rave. I told you for this, um, Gary Rob. He, he was alright. He was a good good boss. And someone come in and said, "Dee Duffy's on his way up," and he was ready to shut, shut the place down. Mm. Wow. He was going to shut it down. He said, I can't do nothing with him. He mm. said, I'm going to shut it down. But he had about, I don't know, about 15 doormen. Yeah, I mean, 15 one... 15 doormen versus one person. Yeah, one book I I <sighs> did in a scrap. his name, that's what I've done to people, his name. Yeah. yeah. There was um, there was a nightclub in Stockton called The Mal, I think it was, and um, two brothers paid Duffy £2,000 to keep him out because when you're coming in in his South Bank tracks, it was just pair of trainers and shorts, maybe a vest, then... It, it was embarrassing for the people in the club, so it was just, you know, we'll pay him, we'll keep him out. Um, but he was something that, and even the police, Cleveland police have said to me that they'll never see the likes of him again in a hurry. But um, as far as you're concerned, Mick, you, for what you actually seen and dealt with him in the time yeah. you spent, you actually couldn't bad mouth him, could you? I can't, I can't, can't knock him. Honestly, I, I, I really think he was a good bloke. Because he, Mick Sorby would have fitted the perfect criteria for someone having a name, being a doorman. You know, he so just, he was all right. Honestly, I, I can't knock him. He was great with me. Mm. Yeah. So why did you make a documentary about him? Um, well, I did the um, I did the book, The Hole of the Moon. That basically took me from being part, a part-time writer to full-time. And uh, it was very lucrative. Um, obviously, that a lot of the book, I, I've give a huge amount of weight to charity. The second book, The Blood Moon, I had no intentions of it, and, and then after four months, Middlesbrough, I call it Duff Mania, if you like. They, they were basically like, Jamie, you've got to do another book. This is, you know, and then obviously Paul Venice, we've done the third, so we've kind of done three books. Uh, I did the the Hall of the Moon documentary with uh, a different firm, and it kind of got, you know, I mean, it was done on, listen, I'm not, you know, it was done on a, stru- a shoestring budget. Um, when FACA Productions got in touch um, about 18 months back and said, look. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. We've got the equipment, we've got the the money, if you like, to shell out and do on this uh, L.A. Duffy, Amazon Too Far, Too Far, Too Soon documentary. And um, it's been absolutely phenomenal. You know, it's like monster sales. Um, you right know, away, it got a shitload of reviews, didn't it? Well, that's the thing, Sean. I mean, you've had a conversation. You said if your book can get 100 views in 12, 12 months, it's reasonably doing well because most of the readers w- will not... Uh, leave reviews uh, and I had a look the other day and it's had 750 since Christmas day grief <laughs> yeah wow it's, and uh, oh like tens of thousands but you know there, there has been a lot of goodness come out of it because we've donated a lot to the Frankie Lee Boo Fund yeah. lovely little boy growing up without his dad um, n- named Lee after that and it's uh, it's a very fitting you know a lot of good is coming from it but um yeah, you know, obviously Richie Horsley put me in touch with Mick and um, that day when I went home and I was and I was Googling and him. And listen, he does what he was, and th- but there was a lot of people saying, oh, Mick hit me so-and-so, but he, it was my own fault. He'd give me a chance. You know, I've dealt with a lot of people in that world. Um, I wasn't there. I was too young. But everyone seems to say the same thing, that Mick was more of a gentleman. Don't get me wrong, if you crossed him, he, he, was, um, he wasn't very nice, but he wasn't someone who... You know, like your leader fees who the to making a statement by knocking four men out was uh, and by the time I got a Dalit and Durham, that four men he'd knocked out were eight. Yeah. You know, and it's all mythical it all grows like a snowball in, in folklore, in historic here we are now, thirty years on, almost yeah. from his death, talking about him. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've spent a lot of time on Wakefield over the last couple of years. Um and I suppose, I mean, who's the most famous person from Wakefield? He's probably looking at Jay McDonald. And um, I knew Wakefield existed, but I never really had an interest in him. Obviously, when I watched that Paul Sykes documentary, so many people are um, wanting to go to Wakefield just to have a look. It's the same with Middlesbrough, you know. Uh, one young kid, lovely guy called Connor, he's, uh, <laughs> I think he actually knows more people in Middlesbrough at the minute, but he's just obsessed with Lee Duffy. I've had messages from Kent, from Manchester, uh, all people just coming up and, you know, regardless of what people think of me or the authors, you know, the clues in the name, true crime author. But what what that man did or what he didn't do, whatever, he was only here a very short time. He would have only been 55. It's not old at all. Um, and, you know, to think what he did in his lifetime, that will just never happen again. You know, and um, obviously, you know, it's, it's, uh, you go any Waterstones, there's 330 of them in Britain and they say, what's the most popular genre? And they'll tell you true crime. You know, you don't have to be a hard man wannabe kind of to just be fascinated and think, what made that man like that? Was it because he was bullying? Was he taking drugs? Did he, was he having some kind of hidden mental health issues? Um, you know, it's, it's, it's just incredibly fascinating to study. So how was it for you to be in the documentary and what kind of reception have you had since it's been published? Well, <laughs> the, 
I, I don't drink often, right? I, I, I explain what I'm. I don't drink. It's very rare I go to drink. I went over the ship where, where if I go out, I go over there. And they just took the piss out of me. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Okay, he's he's the famous writer. Yeah. Mm. Can we have your autograph? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they're all good. They're all good people. Yeah. yeah. So the other big character then in this Lee Duffy story is Viv Graham. Yeah. How how did um, you know? Perhaps the people, the viewers who don't understand all what happened between those two guys. Um, how did uh, beef come about? And right. who, who was Viv Graham? Viv, Viv Graham was a man from. I've just did uh, Alan Thompson's book, actually, the footballer from Wall's End. I'm just trying to think where Viv was from, but yeah, anyway, we drink. Village, one village. Yeah, it was like a small village outside yeah. of Newcastle. So, the difference between Viv Graham and Lee Duffy was. Viv had this kind of country bumpkin upbringing, if you like, uh, where Duffy was, you know, if you've seen, oh, everyone's seen the Mike Tyson documentaries where he grew up in Catskill and New York, the Bronx. And, and I think that was the difference. Duffy was, he'd done an apprenticeship in South Bank, which is like, in my opinion, the most, and always has been, certainly for the last, oh, 30 years, has been... Um, you know, uh, for someone to do the trademark apprenticeship in there by just constantly having fights, because yes, Lee Duffy, in the end, become six foot four, flat nose, any power to knock walls down. He wasn't always like that, and um, he was bullied really, really bad, and um, and I think that played a huge part of in his life. But it was the environment that he was brought up in. Um, you know, people go to colleges, university to go on to become doctors and for Lee to grow up in the tough town of South Bank, there's no, in my opinion, there wasn't any better degree for the profession of violence he chose in life. Um, he was, he just had that dealt with, you know, his brother, God rest him, he, um, he didn't, he didn't do many uh, interviews, but I read in, I think it was The Sun in 1993, which said, when we grew up in South Bank, we learned we didn't get anything. If you wanted something, you had to learn and fight for it. And um, and I think that's pretty much summing him up, that, you know, Duffy was fearless. He didn't have any business brain about him. Viv was a formidable man. He was um, an amateur boxer, done quite reasonably well as well. He um, he fought at La Lice of Ernie Buick. He fought Manny Bergo. Um, you know, he he he, he learned to. He was an awfully fast man for for um for a guy, Nancy Nastone, Paddy Maloney, a friend of ours who's been on the show many times. He said, "Jamie, I used to be in the gym and look at him, and I think, what a big man you are for running." But I think Duffy lived for the day where Viv, um, although wasn't much older than Lee when he when he uh, when he died, he was thirty four. Um, what town was Viv from? Tyneside, you know, it, it was, he grew up, I can't pronounce the name, it was like a little... It was a little village, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I, but I um, he was it. always drinking in Wall's End, he was a proud Geordie, uh, didn't drink much, and I spoke, spoke to Alan Thompson the other day and he said I was with him, I was with him on Christmas Eve, which was the week before he died, and there was Alan Thompson there, there was Steve Watson there, all these young footballers been coming, and he would not let anyone buy a drink. Um, and he, he looked after these lads, hated drugs apparently, I've heard, you know, different different rumours that, you know, but um, 
you know, if Duffy Duffy wanted the fame of the reputation of of just being the Duff, you know, walking about in the sh- short vests, then Viv Graham was um, pretty switched on far more, and he built up an empire. He had so many men working for him, and uh, in Lee Duffy's mind, there was a, another man in the northeast, a proper fighting man. And Duffy couldn't have any close seconds. He had to overpower everyone. Uh, you know, I'm not going to name him, but the first name you probably think of of Lee Duffy, he said to me, he said, the thing that really pissed me off with him was he wanted to kiss all the Geordie's asses and be around Newcastle. And everyone in Middlesbrough he wanted to overpower. And um, and this guy would often fight Lee, win, lose, or draw. You know, he, but that's what he said to me. And, uh, and I kind of got that. Because obviously I didn't know him, but there's a lot of evidence that would back up he was like that. And um, yeah, you know, they, they come, they clashed. In my, to my knowledge, they only met once, maybe twice at the most, but I, I, I would say once because there was someone there. And, um, you know, he just basically started letting it be known that Duffy started going up to the big market in Newcastle, is Vivin. Um, and just knocking his bounces out, just to utterly humiliate him, because that was a statement. You know, the last one, one one of them was, I'm going to leave you awake to say, tell tell Graham, the the Duff has been. Uh, One guy said to me, I was there outside the Macy's, which I think it's, is it Macy's now? But back then it was something different. Uh, It's a nightclub on... um, on the new market, and he'd, he'd completely, there was bodies galore over it, and one, one bouncer was that petrified of him. Duffy was chasing him around the car. Um, these are the guys who are professionals in violence. Yeah, well... they're running the, away from the, the there's one. There's one guy, I can't name, because he told me in confidence, but he's from um, Walker. And uh, he said, he's got pictures of his broken nose. And, he, and, you know, in the end, I mean, on that night, there was, a, there was a nightclub called The Beehive and all the bouncers were on, were, couldn't go to work that shift because Duffy had been up. And uh, when the person who told me said, where's all the bouncers in here? That, that bloke from Middles has been up and they're all in it. And, and, and that's, that's just, you know, you could probably write a film on that alone because... You know, listen, Middlesbrough's relatively a, a small town to um, to the likes of Newcastle. But he's a guy who, I mean, I've, I, I know a, a couple of people who took him up. So, but he was a guy who done that type of thing himself. So to go in the tough town of Newcastle, which is a very, very hard, you know, sometimes you can be sat there and people say, you looking at my pint. It's a really, really <laughs> tough Tough working town, you know. It doesn't come any more northern and hardened than Newcastle. For the, so for this young kid to go hunting, maybe the hardest job of it all, it just defies humanity, in my opinion. And um, obviously, Gary Fraser is now going to do the film. Um, and I'm surprised, to be honest, that it hasn't been so much, so much more. I read all the books years ago, um, 2001. Um, I I remember being at Lee Duffy's grave when I was working there, 2006. And when I first started doing the books, the Paul Sykes books, that went nuts. And people said, do Duffy's. And I thought, nah, that's a bit too close to home. Nah. 
and I have faced my backlash. People have known that, but um, but also it's paid off now because I'm meeting, um, I'm meeting so many people in the next week, famous, infamous, and uh, Jamie, can you bring me a couple? of... People are just fascinated. This young kid, once upon a time, thirty years ago, who did all these crazy antics, and uh, and they'll be forever burnt in the Tyneside Stroke. Teesside <clears throat> history, you know, and um, one of one of the favourite things was in the bouncers, you know. Um, there's a guy I won't name, <clears throat> but he said to me, he said, uh, he said I left work, and his blo- his, his teammate, because you're working too, said, where are you going? He said, look, it's the hour of the Duff, because Duffy would be like Dracula. Mm. He'd turn up about midnight, because then he'd go to the blues, and he'd turn up, slick back hair, broken nose. Vest on, shorts, at Reebok Classics, trainers, or failure boots. And um, this bouncer said, uh, for the last hour, he said, he said I was a bag of nerves. He said, because he's going to turn up and I'm the biggest, so I'm going to get knocked out. So in the end, he, he went. And that happened a few times. But, you know, this it, it, it was short, it was sweet. Um, Lee Duffy made his market on... In the, certainly in the town of Middlesbrough, but in the northeast, and um, you know, one thing I read before I put you over to Mick, I, f- I read something because I've I've had to really study the archives last couple of years, and um, you know, Brenda Duffy, God rest her, said that our Lee would have wanted to die at the top because we were talking when we were Paul Sykes on the wheel, yeah. And when when he died, see when he got out in 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 when he was twenty four, May nineteen ninety four, he was fresh from all our twenty six months training. You know, I go back a year later, yeah, yeah, on he'd been shot in the knee, he'd been shot in the foot, he'd had petal poured on him. There were seven or eight men two weeks before he died who jumped him with crowbars, all this kind of thing. Unbelievably, he relatively got away and scathed. And uh, he knew he wasn't long for this world. And Brenda said, our Lee would have hated it if he'd have lived. You know, because he was by then drug dependent on cannabis. Um, he would say he'd done it to numb his pain. He was well into his crack cocaine by then. He's, you know, and obviously my one of my very best friends, Paul Venice, who we love. Uh, if you're watching Paul, uh, I was trying to think of something funny to take the piss out of him there. Uh, and if you're watching viewers, the Paul Venice podcast is not to be missed. Yeah, yeah. You know, <clears throat> yeah. We, we, Lee Duffy actor. We we spoke last night, Sean, and I said, listen, I've done a few small podcasts with Sean. He's been offered to do, and I said, listen, get Sean Atwood first. We can trust him. And, um, and you know the amazing thing? I don't often read comments, Sean, but I've read Paul's, and there's not one. There's not one bad one. You know, and so that that basically tells. But um, going back to what Paul said, Paul was Paul's being a monster of a guy. Um, could fight like the devil. You know, he's he's a proper ninja. He knows all that rolling about stuff. And uh, but with Lee, I know he died in the October. He died in the August, but he was due to be in court on the October. Well, two months after he died, and that was for threats to kill uh, Islam Gull. That was for breaking David Tappan's teeth, going over the top, what the police said, because he poured him over petrol. 
there was the break in the neck of we, we, Peter Wilson, um, and then also the police got informed that he tried to give Peter Wilson two and a half thousand pound to not go. So there was four charges, um, and you know with the, the Peter Wilson one. I was uh, I, I spoke to two two of the witnesses there, and I said he Duffy's defence was this guy started on him, he's hit him, but I think either way you the court just will not let you go around breaking people's necks. Um, he had a he had a crutch on when he done that as well, so that's a frightening amount of power that that man had because when you're a boxer or whatever, you need to plant your feet. Yeah. He was on his crutches. Um, you know, what one victim, the victim says it was if a kind of red stripe. I spoke to two witnesses who were there. Uh, they said it was his hand. Um, but, you know, that man was, Lee Duffy for me epitomises, he'll be forever young when you look at them pictures. And have you heard the, the footage of Lee on the on the tapes I've dug out? No. On his voice, I'll send you him. And when, when he's listening to his dance music and it's saying, now then, now then, Lee in the house. It kind of it kind of dawns on you how just how just young that kid was, um, forever young, but you know he um, he did a, he did an awful lot on this planet, and as his mother said, if he could have changed his life, I I think he wanted to die. You ever seen that film Al Capone? Uh, not Al Capone. Uh, the the gangster Billy. He's he's really famous. It'll come back to me in a minute. Really famous 1930s actor. He's in a film called Angels of Dirty Faces or something like that. And um, basically the kids... James Cagney. Yeah, James, that's him, James Cagney. So he's filming, he's getting death row, and the police say, die a coward, because we because you're, everyone in the world thinks you're the hardest man in the world, but if you die, all these kids, then they'll stop, they'll follow your path. And, you know, and then he said he refused and he spat in the eye and he said, I'm not doing that. And then he went on the chair to his death. It's a, a marvellous, iconic film, Sean. Anyone who's watched Angels with Dirty Faces. He, um, he but died a coward. So, you know, I think I think if we had survived and got a 27, 28, 29, as of Paul Venice, because Paul, his life, imagely Duffy, the don't just looked alike. And... Uh, I would, I would, you know, do Paul Venice's biography in a heartbeat, which I am. But as his friend, I think he needs it a few years away. But he said he'd got to that place where all these people have been bullied and all that. He bullied them. Now he's not nineteen stone; he's thirteen stone. And Duffy, you know, I've got a picture of him thirteen days before he died, which was the last ever one. And um, it's and you can see he's lost a lot of weight. Um, you know, the, his, his hours of his life were like a vampire. He'd, he'd sleep from six to one in the morning. And, um, yeah, there'll never be another. And, and it was very much part of Mick Sorby's era. Um, Viv Graham, I think you had more to do. You know all his little traits, don't you? I mean, yeah. Viv was seriously better than mad, wasn't he? Yeah. Viv, Viv <clears throat> he could fight. There's no doubt about it, he really could. Um I worked a couple of places with him, and that's how I got to know him. Um, but the main thing about him was what I felt a bit guilty about was when he phoned us to go and get manned, and we never went. Mm. But I had too much to do myself in that world. But I didn't think it was as bad as it was, his problem. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I thought he just had a little problem to fight somebody. He wanted to say to make sure he got, you know, got fair. Mm. 
Yeah, he, he rang. He rang Mick. Oh, did, rang, rang Terry Richardson oh, did he, for me. And yeah. said, can, yeah. "Can you both come through?" And this yeah. was a day or two. He said, "I've got a bit of problem." So the prob- probability is he knew that some kind of attack was going to happen on him. Yeah. And uh, obviously, Mick said, "Look, I promise you, Viv, I'll come through and I'll help you on New Year's Day or the day after." Well, obviously, it was too late for Viv yeah. because he was shot. We both did. Me and Terry said we would. Get New Year's Eve over mm. and it was quite down on the door and we'll come through. And so, yeah. Because it was, to be honest, it was, it was the busiest night of your job of the year, wasn't best it? Best paid night, yeah. Yeah. yeah and um, obviously, he sadly, you know, 34. It, it, it's another one. And what enemies know, had Viv created? Um, he, was, he was very anti drug yeah, from what I've heard. They couldn't sell drugs where he worked. In the West End. Yeah. There was people. Um, Obviously, I can't say, but there they were doing things like that. So he was every drug dealer's nightmare. You know, he would, anyone who stepped out of line, um, he had the number of pubs um, where, I mean, Peter Connolly ran one, which was his brother-in-law. Yeah. I can't remember which one he ran. Was it the Queen's Head? I can't remember. Because that was the Queen's Head on yeah. Wall's End when he was shot. Yeah. Um, it was very a callous way. It was an execution um, I've, you know, I've done a bit of research into the, the the case, and I'm aware of certain what what they were about. Or, and uh, the story, the story I get, which I probably would believe, is they didn't mean to kill him that night. They meant to sh- they smashed his window on Walden High Street. And what was the motive? <clears throat> well, Viv, Viv was um, he'd nipped in to buy dog food, have half a Guinness, which is Guinness what he, he drank, um, and. Something else, so messages. So they'd smashed his Ford Sierra in the car, Walls End High Street, and he heard a word Viv. So he stood to look at the glass, and then he was shot. Three wounds. One was in his backside. Um, One was on his torso, but the one that killed him went up his rib cage, ricocheted, and hit, hit him in the heart. Uh, and he died four hours later. Yeah. But I think it's the the mark of the man because a witness, when they found him, he was crawling across Walls and High Street and his insides were hanging out. And he was saying to people, don't let them see me like this, um, you know, as if it's something to be embarrassed about. So he didn't die straight away. Uh, and he died um, four hours later. And a lot of people in Newcastle, I've personally spoken to, Said um, said that night when we heard the news, Viv died. We actually went home. It spoiled our whole, just the whole mood. And I've also spoken to some people that will be nameless that the chant in the pub that night was Viv no more for ninety four because this happened on January thirty first, New Year's Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, I'm just been writing Alan Thompson's book at the minute. Um, Newcastle footballer, Celtic, played for England and all that. But he had a lot to do with Viv in his early in his life, him and Steve Watson. And Viv loved any kind of sportsmen, any young lads who were doing something for themselves. And he said, he said, you know what? He said he would never let us buy a drink. And he said we were with him uh, the week, seven days, Christmas Eve, before Viv died. And he said Steve Watson rang him. Um, Alan Thompson was playing for Bolton at that time. And he went out playing against Southend, and he, and he said to me, this is Alan Thompson, the footballer, and he said, Jamie, I played that match. But he said, all I could think was a Viv Graham. Do you know what I mean? It was like massive, massive, huge news, um, you know, and 
I think I think whoever did do a Viv Graham book would be very very brave and very stupid in equal measures. I got asked about a year or so by two family members, and um, you know I, I certainly thought brilliant. And then just speaking to certain people, I just said, you know what. You know, there's certain book authors in Newcastle who have the fingers in every pie and if they haven't done it, then what does that tell you? Do you know? So it's it's definitely one to be left over, but um, it's it's a crying shame because a young man in his pram has just been cut down needlessly for gang wars, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I don't think they'll ever catch him. I think there'll probably be a deathbed confession at one point. But uh, Viv, your friend, and I mean, when you, you told me a lot of stuff about him, Mick, he was yeah. betting, betting mad. Oh, just, he, he, he would bet, bet yeah. if there was someone on the street, he'd yeah. just bet on anything, wouldn't he? Yeah, anything at all. He did get him a lot of debt. Yeah. A lot of debt as well. Yeah. But I'll, I'll work with him, and I, I don't know. I'd put him, the only other two people I work with were as good as him. Well, they're probably not as good as him because he could fight. It was Richie Arsley and Andrew Keenan, but they're they're good lads and the same stamp as him. Do you know what I mean? They're not afraid. Mm. That's what you need with my thoughts. I work with this lad, big lad, big bodybuilder. There's a bit trouble caused in the pub, about six people fighting. So I goes over, gets them out, sorted out. I had to give it to them a clip. Goes on, I come up, and he was still stood at the door. I said, "Why didn't you come and help me?" He said, oh, I was watching you look all right. He said, I was just, if you'd have went down, I'd have come and help you. So I just bashed him and kept his wages. <laughs> Gone. I'm doing the job myself. <laughs> yeah, but... Um, yeah, I tell another one. This was a funny one. Sorry, Jim, but they did remember about this. Go for it. This, this lad was working me. He was half decent. Champion. Fight broke out. We put the kids out. But in, in the fight, right, I took a swing and missed the kid and hit him. I didn't mean to do it. I, next day, he brought his mother down to see me. <laughs> I said, you're no good to me now, son. Put your mum down. His mum's shouting at me. Why did him? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, listen, you know, Dave Courtney says in one of his books, the harder up north, the further up north you go, the harder the men. And I remember having this conversation with uh, Dominic Negus about boxing and he said, yous are more harder, tougher. They breed them up north, but southerners, they're more skillful. And I think that's a great, um, I think it's a great way of putting it. And I don't know why. Maybe everyone's mental in Middlesbrough because of the smog and the Palmos. Hmm. Uh, Hartlepool, North East, New, uh, the Newcastle, we've Sunderland. Had some, we've had some good boxers on Hartlepool, haven't we? So, oh, absolutely. I think New, Hartlepool's the, the hotbed of, of boxing. I've put that in one of my books. But um, I don't know. It's, it just seems to have that, you know, and the coal strikes and all that, no one really had anything. And it's, yeah. you know, I think one thing about the Hartlepool people, what I've noticed since I've done with Mick's book is... The sense of humour. They've also got this own lingo. So it's almost like they've got their own lingo, and yeah. even though they've got nothing, they just love taking the piss yeah. out of each other. And like wild man. Yeah, I had, I had yeah. It's two, it's two brilliant lads working off. I had George Feeney working off. I mean, he was working for me. Boxer. And there, John. Mm. Yeah, both title holders, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah. It's, I mean, we just mentioned him there. God rest him, wild man. But uh, it's a shame coming in, you know, when he's not here. I, know, I can't get his sense of humour just yeah. like really like added didn't it yeah so Wildman only ever gave me one book in his entire life he says mm. you've got to read this mm. I think it was called something like Fight to the Death yeah Lee Duffy versus Viv Graham yeah he was obsessed with that book so have you read that book um there's been six books on that book with different covers six I've counted 
Lee Duffy, Viv Graham's Parallel Lives, Too Hard to Live, Too Young to Die. Um, what did you just say there? Is it Fight to the Death? Fight to the Death. Uh, chapter Three. That that you know. So it's um, whoever's. It hasn't been Steve Richards. He's um, when I when I spoke to him once, and he said basically, it was a regret to do all the new new the northeast crime. He's done Bronsons and all this, and um, maybe myself and Steve Riff have took over. But he said, he said the amount of shit that caused me, and he said everywhere in the world he goes, right? <clears throat> he's done books on the um, Charles Bronson. He's done books on Richie Horsley. Oh, just lots. He said, you know what? He said the only place I got it the most was Middlesbrough. Um, you know, and uh, it's. I mean, I, I often talk to Neil Booth. He's one of my best friends. He's never had anything to do with me in 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 books, but he said. If you hadn't have done these books now, um, I think all that Lee Duffy generation and other, the others around here, it would have died. But, you know, that them books, Waterstones actually thanked me and said, because you've done and come and done all these new books, which I've got in my, my whole shelf in, all these books that were done 2003, 2004, they've all been sparked back to life. Um, I think it's an incredibly good book. What he's done, to be honest, um, there's a few, there's a few things. If you, you know, you got Lee's names, kids wrong. Uh, one picture he says in the Hacienda in, in in Manchester when really he's in the Martin Country Club. But as a whole, uh, I can't fault the guy, and he's obviously really done his homework because I know how hard it is. People, you can't rely on people's stories. You've got to sit in archives for hours and hours and hours. Um. But I say one thing about Steve Richards, he, he he was the first guy who had the bottle to do the, the Lee Duffy, the Viv Graham. Um, it's cost him at his, pr- his price life because he lives abroad now and I probably... He actually said, I regret doing them books and now I'm only doing spiritual um, God books, Jesus books. So he lives abroad because of his true crime books? He's, I he's think so, yeah. Life. Yeah, he's in... Um, I, I mm. won't learn the country. Um, uh, I'll, I'll tell you afterwards, but... He's um he's had so many 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 death threats. Um, oh. as you know what it's it's the nature of the beast. I get it, Sean. You you get it more than anyone. What's the difference between your books then and the other Lee Duffy books? <clears throat> right. My, well, to be honest, um... as humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I probably would say them books are 60% Viv Graham and 40% Lee Duffy. My books, uh, The Hole of the Moon, um, The Blood Moon and Paul Venice, A Very South Bank Story. 
And all those links will be in the description box. Yeah. If you want to check them out. There's um, all, we've published the audio books on yeah. them as well. Yeah. Paul's book is more for the South Bank grapevine. Yes, there's a few bits on his life. Um, but them two were basically, they're just 100% Lee Duffy. Um, so, yes, Duffy's mentioned in it. Uh, sorry, that's, you know, the sayers, you know, I've had a chat with a certain someone who didn't want to be mentioned who was, you know, if you think of Lee Duffy, you think of that other name. And I said, look, I cannot do a credible Duffy book without mentioning your name. I can't go back 30 years and change the end of what happened that night. But I was respectful, I was honest, and I didn't I didn't go into certain things um, that Steve Richards did. Um, so I, I think I've kind of... Because you've got to be respectful, do you know what I mean? I'm not all about just ruining someone's life. Um, yeah, so, yeah. But the question is, Sean, them books are basically... Uh, they've been read by some famous people as well, you know. Um, you would not believe how many... Have you seen the actor, Adam Fogarty? He's a big ball guy in Snatch. Uh, in Brit- fil- films with Robert De Niro and Brad Pitt. I got a phone call once on Facebook and I thought, who's that? And that was some actor ringing me just to talk about Lee Duffy and Paul wow. Sykes. And he played Gorgeous George and um, Snatch. Big, massive ball guy. Was in Main Machine. Uh, he's in being lots of things and... Um, you know, most most people I spoke to a boxer yesterday, very very well known household name, British boxer, and he was started talking to me about. It and I was I sometimes think, how do you know? Do you know? But it's been big news in Teesside. It really really has. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So, so Mick, when Viv Graham died, then how did you hear the news, and what did you feel about that? I felt a bit guilty for not going up. Yeah, I did. I did feel guilty. Yeah, I thought. I don't know whether it could have made a difference or not. I don't know. Yeah. But I'd have been there for him. Did you go to his funeral? No, no, I didn't. <clears> I couldn't. <throat> I couldn't find out when it was. Yeah. Nobody, nobody said when it was. What was Viv's funeral like, Jamie? Um. <clears throat> well, I, I was at his grave about a couple of months back. Um, he's buried in Hookgate in Newcastle. And what I found really sad, really, really sad, and it brought a tear to my eye, was there's Viv there in his 34 with his boxing gloves saying simply the best, which was his motto. And then there's his dad, who's passed, Jackie. Um, and then there's his son, who died, I'm not sure, he died 11 years ago, 2010. So you've got Viv Graham, his dad and his son. So his son died young. <clears throat> yeah. Um, you could Google it. I can't remember what it's for. Um, it could be drugs. I don't know. I can't think off the top of my head. But um, yeah, it was... Um, I spoke to people who were there and it's like, certainly with Lee Duffy, you know, I, I've been to Middlesbrough's greatest ever footballer. He was a man called Wolf Mannion. Uh, he was... From South Bank as well, originally. Um, and you would have thought, you know, I went to his while I was there. But when Duffy come out, the police said there was a thousand round, went out there, there was a thousand round his graveside. Because I've, I've, I've often been to his grave for, for filming and, you know, paying my respects. I think the police said to me uh, about two months back, they said, realistically, it was more four to five thousand. 
Um, you know, it was like it, people they were taking the kids off school to pay their respects. Viv Graham's was um, was very much the same. It, I've seen the pictures and all that, but you know, this is you know, yes, they had a name; they were the hardest. But I always like to put something in my books of where people can learn from it. And Duffy, what was he? Twenty six, so he'd have been. 56, I think now, coming on for 57. And um, where's the glory? Where's where's the... Duffy had £60 in his pocket when he died, full of blood. Uh, he lent it off someone I won't name. And when his, mo when his mother got his belongings, they tried to give him. He said, oh, I don't want it. But, you know, Viv was more a businessman. Um, Duffy was more skint completely. And then he'd nick someone's car and he'd just, you know... But yeah, they're uh, they're certainly in the northeast folklore, and thirty years from now, they will still be spoken of. Delroy Showers always says to me, he says, notoriety in itself is a form of success. So just because Lee Duffy never made a fortune or Viv Graham, Lee Duffy, uh, Duffy Viv was certainly more lucrative, you know, more money than than Duffy. He had a business brain, if you like, but, you know, what they did, you know, what, what they were involved with essentially caused them their deaths. Um, but have they, been, have they been, here we are now, you know, there's people. Um, I was talking to a young kid the other day, and he's about 25, 26, and he said, do you like that? And I said, well, it's my new duffer tattoo. And it, honestly, I've yeah. met some mm. people, they've inboxed me. And they've, they've went, where's the commercial? Where's Duffy Berry? And I've thought, when I've been talking, I thought they were from Stockton. I thought they were from, oh, like just outside of Middlesbrough. And they were, oh, no, we're from Manchester. And the other one said, I'm from Kent. I'm driving up. Just So that's the, the level. And uh, and Viv was very much like that. You know, he was he was known in that Tyneside as the fourth emergency service. Everybody knew him, like. Yeah. Um, you know, and... And and everybody, it, it, everybody was family to him, you know, if they got any trouble. Mm. I'll tell her with Viv. Yeah. yeah. Can I tell him about when that lad put the son of shock on my face? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, go for it. Can I name him? Uh, if if in doubt, let's leave it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll leave that out. We could maybe put we'll it... do the story, but just leave the name out. <clears throat> uh, but, right, yeah. you're going to tell a story about a very well-known Hartlepool fighting man. Right, yeah. What We're in the pub. Me and Terry, and this kid called Chris Hubert came in. He was a heavyweight boxer. And he said that this lad had been slagging Terry off. So uh, Terry said, I'm going to have to fight him. So anyway, we decided to go on the night to fight him. But we went with him, me and... It was Kano, Chris Hubert, me and Terry. And we just went to make sure it got fair. We weren't going to... It was not to do we weren't in. Anyway, Terry beat him in a few seconds. It was, it was the kid going to fight. Anyway, we started to walk away, and he, he was on his hands and knees, crawling to his step, he had... Three steps to go to his bungalow and got the top of his, what do you call them, plant pots, tall boys? Mm. Put his hand in there and pulled his hand with a rag round it through his sonar shotgun. Well, I was still there. They, they were just walking up and um, he, walked, he walked out and he put, was that far from his face like that? Is that the boatman? Yeah, yeah. the boatman, yeah. Mm. And I could all I said, I said, no, I've got to outrun that. I just said, do it, son, if you go into I said, but if you don't, I'm going to fucking hurt you. Mm. He just dropped his knees and started crying. Did he? Yeah. Mm. What the hell? Yeah, I'm glad he did. Did you grab the gun? No, I didn't touch it, no. I just walked off then. Wow. But you know, Terry Rich and 
Christian would run off, you know. All I could see was two yellow streaks running up the road. Yeah. <laughs> and Kino, he ran, but he'd, he'd learned to get a weapon. He, when he seen what happened, he'd come back with number three with two. <laughs> so, uh, try and help me. What What's the most danger you've ever been in in your life? Um, That was one one little bit. Um, that well-known businessman called, I don't know if you say his name, he pulled a shotgun on me. Because someone told him I'd beg the yard. I've never done a beggar in my life. Yeah. And, uh... I went, I went down, because he was a coal match, I went down to buy some coal. As I got to the yard, he came round the opposite of the shop and he said, you're getting this show. And he didn't do it. I never got the coal. But you've had that a lot, haven't you? A few times, yeah. You know, there was yeah. a time when uh, Mick put these lads out and they got him with baseball bats, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. That hurt me, that. Mm. What happened was, I'd, I'd put them out and one of them got a good clip because he was getting a bit slavery. And I, they went and I thought that was it. But I didn't know they knew where I lived. Well, in my garden, I had my pickup park in my garden, transit pickup. And then um, I had some rolls of wire I was taking to the sale, but about their eye. And I didn't see them the rid behind them. I went in, I only just got through the gate. And someone did this in the back. I thought, what the fuck's that? As I turned around, they did this on the head. And that baseball, I said, they, they give me a good start. But what I never thought about was, I tell you how bad it was. I, when I, I couldn't get my, my hands wouldn't work. I thought I'd get the key in the door. I had to bang down. I asked her, um, the door. She said, what do you want? She couldn't recognise me. Anyway, it, before I went unconscious, I seen it. I was on the floor and I seen the kid's trainers. He painted it. You know the little thing on the back of the train? He painted it white. So that stuck in my mind. And oh, a few months later, yeah, this kid come in the trainers with the white thing on and I knew it was him. He, I didn't know the others were, but I never found out. But he got a good start. He got air probably. Yeah. Sounds like he had it coming. Mm. Yeah. What about Ernie Bewick? Ernie yeah. Bewick. Yeah, who's he? <coughs> he runs the doors in, in Sunderland. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I'll, Ernie Bewick is, um, oh God, I wish I had a pound for everyone. Every I get a lot of messages saying, do so-and-so's book, do so-and-so's. Um, and I mean, Mick describes him in his book, Hartlepool Born and Bred, as the toughest man he's ever met. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, he was, he beat Viv Graham in a boxing match. Wow. Um, he actually had a, didn't he have a fight with Billy Robinson, was it? And Viv, it I think he did with Billy. Yeah. Billy Billy's a Palaman, Billy. But, um, but basically he was, you know, if you've heard of the Duffies and uh, the Viv, he was Mr. Sunderland. Yeah. Um, but I, I have so many offers to, uh, and I have actually had people to message him. Uh, he's actually been in one book, which, um, I can't, was it Street Fighters, Julian? He's in Street Fighters, yeah. 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 But he, he's just, he's someone who I suppose is, switched on by the sounds of it and probably wants to leave his past. Uh, I don't think he was actually a professional criminal. He was just a bouncer who actually He's killed good, someone. Good dormant, yeah. But um, he, yeah. he, you know... Tony Waters. Yeah, his book... If I could have done it, I would have, you know, because yeah. that he's he's known as kind of Mr. Sunderland. Everybody likes him. Uh, and it, it just his name comes up all the time. The you respect, had quite a bit to do with him, didn't you? Yeah, the respect he's got so real. Honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I worked with the After Dark with him. Mm. And then I never seen him. I worked there about a year with him. Then it shut down the After Dark. I don't know where. I think someone bought the building, I think. And um, I'd never seen him for a while. And then I found out he, he had a fight with Tony Waters and Tony Waters ended up dying. Yeah. He, he didn't mean to kill him. Do you know what I mean? And I'm sorry Tony's gone, so I like Tony. And um, next time I see him, I was in Ormau prison and I was on the remand wing. Then we got, I got guilty and then moved on to the wing and there's 
any. He used to say, God, I wish I was on the beach walking with bulldogs. <laughs> but he's a hell of a man, honest. Yeah. I've got the... I've, I mean, you must have had... People have been asking you to say, any Um All the stuff that comes in is like American stuff yeah. for, for us. You're, you specialise in the north of England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I don't get any of that. It's all like American stuff that's mm. coming in with us. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But getting back to any, he's a gentleman, you know. Yeah. Honestly, he's a really good bloke. Really yeah. good. Yeah, respect yeah. to him then. I've got loads of respect for him. Loads. Yeah, yeah. So you um, went from working the doors to running your doors business. Yeah. How did you do that career advancement? Right, well, two lads, one lad's called Philly Tobin, one's called Michael Blackwood. They had formed an agency and um, they, they both got sick of the trouble. They got sick of it and they said, right, we landed over to you and I done it. But I found it, to be honest, fairly easy. Yeah. It wasn't trouble to me. I think one of Mick's um, golden rules was, I'll never ask any of my lads to do something that I wouldn't do myself. That's right, yeah. yeah I wouldn't. Yeah. No, I wouldn't. Mm. If we've got, got a pub and got a bit rough, I just say, I'll, you'll go to that pub and I'll do this. Do you know what I mean? Was, I, couldn't, I couldn't ask them to do anything. I wouldn't do myself. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it then. So running uh, this business then, what were the biggest challenges you had to face? The, the, the hardest bit was getting dormant to stay at work. No yeah. state. That was really hard. A lot of people are interested in it. And you had to work out of it and good. You got some what were just funny rats. And you got some what thought the dicky bug was a magic circle and they wouldn't get hurt. Yeah. Do you remember? Know I mean? Then you got some what were proper bullies. Really? They had to go with them. I couldn't do with them. How did you filter them out? Huh? How did you filter them out? Just, well, what I used to do on the night was walk around the pubs and check the dorm. We were all right. And then... You know, they'd been bullying, they just got the back of my hand and fucked off. Yeah. Just, yeah. I couldn't do with bullies. Yeah. You know, all the fights I've had, you know, I've never, ever went out and caused one myself. Right. Never. That's good karma then. Yeah. And this was all before the cameras and stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. So was it a lot different back then? Yeah, because you could have your bit fight and then you got to straighten it the next day if you wanted one. Do you know what I mean? But now, there's, like you said, there's cameras. You get the young kids full of cocaine. Mm. And you, you get to fight tennis instead of one. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah. yeah. I mean, that was one thing you never tried to reason with people in cocaine, wasn't it? You couldn't. You couldn't. You just, you just, yeah, um, just got the bash out. Yeah. yeah. So you ended up then with a seven year of prison over the Gurmit Singh Sing, yeah. shooting. What yeah. was what, what happened there? What was the shooting? Right. Well, it's quite, um, it's really notable. It's a massive one of the most ever famous cases in the town. So I'll let you go from the start, Mick. Right. I, was, I, I, I had an allotment at the time and I was doing the bridge in my allotment and Terry phoned me up. He said, Mick, Gamut owes me £74,000. He said, uh, Buffalo might be there. This kid, he said, will you come with us? We get it sorted. I said, he said, if, you, if I have to fight Gamut, he said, you fight, fight Buffalo, I'll give you £2,000. I said, oh, come pick us up. And then off he goes. Um we got, got the gamuts. But before that, their last had been saying Gamut had been to the house with a gun looking for Terry. No such thing. He was in Flamingo Land with his kids. Anyway, and we, I know he was because he showed me the pictures where he'd taken on his, at the time, you know, and the time and the date when they took them. So anyway, we gets up there. Terry shouts him out. He comes out, shots his coat off. He said, oh, then I'll fight you. 
and Cassie was in the boot of the car, and he had the thing to open it. Bush. Anyway, he opened it, jumped out with the shotgun, shot in the legs. Um, but give game, game it. He's a, he's a proper man. It, it, they had a shotgun. Like I was obviously I was I was there. I was part of it. But I thought I was going for a fight, not to see someone get shot. And the gamut shot there, let's get me sword. Did I get, he, he, so he's, he's just been shot in his legs yeah. and he's dying. Instead of being trying to protect him, he's shouting his wife, get a yeah. sword. Yeah. <laughs> he couldn't even stand. <laughs> but do you know what he'd done to me? Gamut. He came to visit me in prison to keep him parole, right? That was good or not. Because I think it's, he it's knew deep down. down he didn't it. Die. Yeah. But he yeah. knew deep down that he was just. You know, he wasn't there to shoot him. He didn't pull no, the trigger. So he even, wasn't aware of anything. Yeah. Wasn't even in my head and the, uh, you know, the, I mean, one of the things is in, in the book is the police pleaded with him saying, look, make, oh, make yeah. a statement and you're going today. Make he a said, statement. I'd rather bite my tongue off. They said, make a statement. It's him who won, Terry Rich. He said, make a statement and you can't go home now. He said, I'd bite my tongue off first. Mm. So the seven-year sentence then, did you have to serve 100% of that, all of no, it? No, no. Just, just over three and a half years served. What was it like going into prison? I knew everybody in there. You knew everybody? <laughs> yeah. yeah. There wasn't, on every wing in the prison, I knew a few people. Do you know what I mean? My son, well, he was, going to, he was going to be my son. Oh, normally he's died, he died now. He got, got, he got killed on a tax job. And um, he was in there. My son was in. Um, there were loads of people I knew in there. It was, uh, I didn't want for note because he had on the radio that I was coming in. Yeah. I'd been sentenced. Yeah. And they'd give me loads of things to start me off with. Wow. Yeah, I got a uh, punk card, tobacco, because I smoked then, tobacco, milk, tea bags, wick lighter, all kinds to give us. Yeah. Any big names in the. No, not on the wing I was on, there wasn't. No. Yeah. No. Is it when you went to Pentonville, there was, wasn't it? Pentonville, yeah, I've seen that there. But con bam, bam. Jeremy Bamber, White House Farm Murders. Yeah, I've seen him. Yeah, we've been doing a bit on the channel yeah. on him. If you, if people are watching and want to check that out, it's with Matthew Steeples. He's trying to help Jeremy. And I've, I've spoken to some people um, working on the case. And we are going to be doing more with the Jeremy Bamber case on the channel. So what was your impression of Jeremy then? He just looked like an everyday guy who, who should be at work in office. He didn't look like... Um... Like a killer, no, not a bit, yeah. Yeah, you know, the type of thing you go if you went to the door to sign on, yeah, you look like that type of fella, yeah. Yeah, have you watched the White House Farm murders no, on Netflix? I no. Have you seen it? No, yeah, it's really good. Shows, um, I'll look at it, I'll have a look at it. Like, yeah, yeah, it's very, very interesting because there was his sister, the police thought his sister had killed the parents mm. and then had killed herself, but then so Jeremy stood to inherit a lot, mm. but then it was like his cousin or something pinned it on him and she got the inheritance I think yeah. and his girlfriend he just broke up with his girlfriend mm. so she's pinned it on him and sold a story 20 grand to News of the World I think it was something like that oh, yeah. so the police then put it on him yeah. and he's still to this day protesting his innocence he just um, he just looked like like your next door neighbour sort of thing no he didn't yeah. look like, didn't look oh, he didn't look like he was a violent bone in his body yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and what about, um, you said earlier that someone died taxing somebody. Norman. Norman? Yeah, he was a hell of a kid. What was the story on that then? He then, um, well, well, 
when he was about 14, 15, his kid slashed him. Yeah. And he found out that he had some stuff, so he went around to take it off him. But yeah. the kid stabbed him in the eye and twisted a knife. What? Went, yeah. Oh, bloody hell. Yes. Whew. It's a shame, that. That was horrible. It was dead. It's absolutely horrible. And it was that wound that caused his death, was yeah, it? Yeah, well, because it went straight in his brain, the knife. He oh, yeah, your fluid yeah. can come out the brain, can't yeah. it, through that, through that yeah. socket? Yeah, yeah, that's the, the fluid that's cushioning in the brain that, comes that, out, doesn't that it? That hurt me, that like us, I like Norman. Yeah. Did yeah. yeah, bloody hell. Did you see any uh, craziness in prison, any violence, uh, prisoners or guards? I've seen, I seen a few people fighting over debts, you know, the debt, mm. when they get into debt. So like drug debts and gambling yeah. debts, things like that? Mostly drug debts, drug yeah. Drug debts. Yeah. What, what years were you in prison? Um, Nineteen. 1999 to 2003. Yeah. Yeah. 2003, so just 20 years ago then. Yeah. So there was a lot of drugs in the prisons back then, was there? Yeah, but I, I never had that. Because I'm under drugs, I didn't want Yeah. Them. yeah. Mm. I got offered them, but... Yeah. Didn't want them. Did you mostly have your own cell? Yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the best, it's isn't it, your own yeah, cell? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He the kid next door to me, you know. He was working on a savory, savory and he, he was a bit, a bit funny. Anyway, he got... A, we all got a cell search, something that happened to search all the, all the dampers. And I pulled his box out and he'd been saving the complex. He had like boxes, oh, sorry, boxes like that, mm. full of complex under yeah, his bed. Yeah. Not one, wow. about eight. Wow. Yeah. He was hoarding. Sugar pups and things like that, yeah. <laughs> that was asking for trouble, wasn't yeah. it? I had, had another kid. He was, <laughs> he was protesting against his prison sentence. So he used to wear his clothes all back to the front. <laughs> yeah. yeah, um I think Noonan was protesting. He was going around naked, wasn't he, Dominic Noonan? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um any famous gangsters that, that you came across in prison? No. No no no. On the wing I was on the Bronson. Charles Bronson. Nobody oh he sent me a letter when we got when we did got he? jail, yeah. Sent me a letter. How did he know how did you and him have a relationship? I didn't. I never met him. Oh, you never met him? No. Just out of the blue? Yeah, he sent Terry one and me one. And the screw, when they got the letters, he said, Terry's got a letter of Bronson there. I said, all right. Because Terry was on a different wing than me. Yeah. They wouldn't let us be together. They did it first, we were together, then they said we had too much influence both together on the wing. Right. So they split us up. Yeah, that's what they did with me and Wildman, so yeah. we were influencing people. Yeah. And then yeah. Um, I said, oh, I've got one as well. He said... He said, Mick, I'm going to give you a little bit of advice here. He said, put it in the bin. He said, and I'll tell him, I've seen you put it in the bin. He said, it's going to help you parole. I said, oh. I said, well, I was going to send it home for my son to have a look at. Yeah. You know I mean? That's what I was going to do with it. Let me keep it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, I just shot it in the bin. But as soon as he went, I took it back out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> what was your routine in prison like? Well, I, I ended up being all right in there. Because I was only in when about six months I was in. I, I got a job cleaning. Then... I got a little bit of promotion to savory for oh, it was fat as fuck then. <laughs> and then well, you know it's like in there, don't you? Don't get enough to eat, do you? Oh yeah, I lost two stone, right? Yeah. Oh, I, I put about three in on. The, in the county jail, yeah. Yeah. I put about three stone on. Bloody hell. Then the the, the SO on reception came up to see me and he said, I'm, reception order's leaving. Do you want the job? I said, Oh, I don't know, I'm on the savory, I'm getting plenty of food, I'm happy with that. Well, that's all right, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, the, the, the person officer said, Mickey said, take the, the job, man. He said, think about it. He said, this is, he said, look, I, I want you to get parole. And um, 
you take this job, I'll put a right up in, in for you, saying you, 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 you volunteered for it. I said, right, oh. So I thought, oh, I've never missed well off in my life. I was down there, I was getting, well, it was the time when they were fetching the, um, illegal, illegal immigrants in. Yeah. And they had one wink, but we were taking the tabs off and the cartons. I was getting, they put them in and I was getting them. Wow. Oh, I was wow. having carry bags full of tabs. <laughs> And um, what else did you do to pass the time in there then? Did you like watch things or read or play games or work out? No. I, I'm, normally, like I'm talking, I don't know, but normally I'm, I, I, like, I like my own space. Yeah. And I had my single down. I didn't even bother with the association. Yeah. I used to just bang up straight away and then go and do my journal reception. Yeah. And I slept most of my jail away. Slept most of it yeah. away. Yeah. yeah. What was it like the day of your release coming back to the real world? Do you know what the hardest bit was? The noise. Mm. The noise. It, 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 like, I, I went to the, I would have said to me, oh, I'll show you the uh, marina. Because I didn't have the marina when I was in jail. Yeah. I thought I'd show you the marina. But the, when these shops and the noise, you know, the tannies and that, when they're mm. shouting, oh, I had to come out. Yeah. Just threw me in the noise. Yeah. And like having so many people around you and things yeah. like that, did that bother you yeah. a bit? It did, yeah. 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 Because like working the doors, it's almost like a battlefield at times, isn't it? Yeah. You've got all those people around you. You're used to the intense environment. Yeah, but it was, after you've been locked up like that, you got, you I know got it wasn't the group of people who've been in longer than me. But yeah. Like it was, I, I think it took me about a month to get myself put right with it. Yeah. 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 And um, how did you find life after prison? Oh, I, I tell you what, it, it worked out all right for me because I got out of prison and I called Lenny Arns and gave me a job straight away. So that, that helped me. But I was just working on the screen. I was always pressed the button, the bag filled up, stitched the top and pushed on with a belt. It was just, it was boring, but I was out of trouble. Yeah. I, I couldn't have done that to my wife again, went back to prison. I couldn't have done it to her. Yeah. Anyway, um, some lads come on and st stole some stuff. And I, they said to me, Vic, they're stealing that stuff. I said, it's not my problem. I was on parole. Do you know what I mean? I, I didn't yeah. want no trouble. So it's not my problem. I just carried on filling the bags. He said, Mick, they're trying to get in the jeep. I said, it's my problem now. And I went, I clipped one, one ran off. And then I went back to do my job, but an hour later, the boss sent me, I thought, oh, I'm getting sacked here. I thought, that's me. I thought, what the fuck am I going to tell all this? Anyway, I goes not to see him. Give me a cup of, no, a cup of coffee, give me. That's a cup of coffee for you. I thought, oh, what's going on here? Anyway, he said, will you take our security over? I said, oh, I don't know. I said, you know I'm on parole, don't you? He said, yeah. He said, yeah. Uh, you take it over and I'll double your wages now. I said, I'm doing it. I'm now your security man. <laughs> How did your wife feel when you got sentenced to seven years? She didn't say much, but I could see her there. She said to me, when she come around the bridewell, have a visit with me. I said, Pat, if you want, you can have a, have a divorce if you want. I didn't want to. I said, you can have a divorce if you want. I said, it's a long time to have to wait. She said to me, you silly old man. She said, just go and do your prison and get yourself back home. <laughs> well, I was made then. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was made. Yeah. We talked about some of the attempts on your life earlier, people pulling shotguns on you yeah. and stuff. After prison, were there any more attempts on your life? No. No, no I just kept myself out of the way of everybody after yeah. prison. I just... Prison prison wasn't hard for me, but what was hard? My grandkids and that... Not, and I, I didn't want them to come up there to get searched. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I really did miss them. When, when I go home, one of my grandkids, she come and she punches in the face. I said, what's that for? She said, well, I thought you were Santa, and you're not. <laughs> and, like, I don't know if she recognised me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because she's the only baby when I went to prison. 
Now you yeah. look you look remarkably young for your age, but you do have a health situation you're battling right now, and you were diagnosed with cancer. How long ago Chairman was that? Nearly two years ago. Two years ago. Two and a half years to live. And you lost a lot of weight in the beginning, did you? I went you? down to thirteen stone. And you were up to I've what was it? Nine point six on that scale was it? What was it? Eight point eight point six. Eight point six. On, on the state, the doctor explained to me like this. I don't know if it explained other people. Like this, but this is how he explained to me. My wife was sat with me. Yeah. Because he phoned me. Phoned me. He said, "Come and see me. I need to see and fetch somebody with you." That's what he said to me. Yeah. But, oh, why? I wasn't. You know, I didn't even think of cancer. They yeah, didn't yeah. Of head. Anyway, he sat down. He said, "I'm certain to tell you you've got cancer. Tell me cancer." Well, at first I didn't realise what he said. When, with the terminal bit, I'd add the cancer bit. I said, oh, well, how do we cure that? He said, we can't. Yeah. He said, I'm sorry to tell you, you can't. Yeah. He said, your blood counts come back at 8.6. He said, I'll explain it like this. If it go, goes to nine, you get end-of-life tablets. I thought, fuck, I don't feel that bad. Anyway, I will, I will actually go see the tears in her eyes. <laughs> I just tried to make a joke, but she said to me, when we're going, oh, oh Mick, what are we going to do? She said, we're going to the pie shop. Do you know what I mean? I just, uh, I couldn't think of to say it. <laughs> anyway, and I was, I was, I was poorly, like, because of the, the stuff they give me, they strip in my arm, I can't remember what they call it now. Um, I forgot what they call it. But it, it, it knocks fuck out, yeah. Um, chemo stuff. Chemo, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I had about six bouts of that, and then the, the coronavirus came, so they had to stop. Yeah. And um, the doctor, he keeps phoning me up every month to see who I am, and he said, me up and he said to me, um... As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. I didn't tell him I was on that oil. I'd explain what the oil just now. And um, he phoned me up and he said, I don't know what you're doing, Michael. He said, but keep it up. He said, you're down to nothing. Your blood counts down to nothing point two. Yeah. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll tell you how I think I've done it. Let, let me just say a little something yeah. first. Um, so, so Mick is on an alternative treatment. It's yeah. an oil that people are aware of, but we're not going to say the name of that yeah. oil because of you know certain yeah. guidelines on YouTube. Yeah. After, so you, you got introduced to the oil, and then yeah. you, you managed to gain weight and your health rebounded. 13 weeks, I was back up, 18 stone. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That is absolutely phenomenal. And yeah. how, how do you feel today? I feel great. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, I feel great. Yeah. Some, I get out of breath sometimes with it being on my chest, but yeah. you, you just got the problem, haven't you? These kids were soft and mean, eh? Yeah. How, how did you hook up with prolific author Jamie Boyle? Through Richie Horsley. Um, Richie had come to, come to see me because mm. he found out I was bad. And um, I'd, w w when I was in prison, the. the, the oh, what do you call them? They're. Um, Documenting. 
No, the, the one I had to see, she's a nurse psychologist. And it would have been a show, and everybody has to go and see him, right? And she was talking to me, and she said, I can see this, you've got problems. I said, I haven't. I said, I feel all right. She said, no. She said, would you write down for me about your childhood up to the, and your life, up to down, up to the date I went to prison? And that's how I come to start it off. That's how it started. Because mm. Well, I started, she read it, but they gave me it back. She couldn't keep it, she said. She gave me it back, and I just took it on me. And it was putting a box under the bed, and the box was there for about 50 Yeah, It got pulled up to get cleaned, obviously, under the bed. And then um, my granddaughter, April, she was messing about in the bed. Oh, we're having a clean out, getting rid of all the junk. And I just said, oh, that can go. I said, oh, enough of that. No, I don't need that. I said, someone done finished that reading. She said, Grandad, why don't you take it further? I said, oh, I don't know. I said, nobody would be interested out, out about me. Mm. Anyway, Richie had a read of it, and then he gone to you. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> I yeah, uh, I come across Mick on the documentary, and I'd never heard of Mick Sorby. So the night I went home, I'd done my Googling research, seen a few... Bad comments or oh, mixed over hit me in some nightclub or something like. But but overall, the majority was was like everyone really liked him. And I sat and thought about it in that and that. a few stories and Richie, Richie was saying, "You need to do, you know." Obviously, at the time, I'm I'm trying to get away. I'm certainly getting away from Teesside, and I know he's only twelve miles down the road. But mm. I just kind of bought into him as a person, and there's trust is a big thing with me now. Uh, particularly after I've worked with some certain people that is, is you know. Done nothing but try and ruin me. So it's like I knew I could work with him. I knew I could trust him. And his stories are like, and that is exactly what it's been because it's done really, really well on uh, on Amazon sales. So working on your book then, Mick, Hartlepool, Born and Bred, did you feel like you were reliving your life? Did it bring back nostalgia or any certain feelings, memories? It was very hard to, talk, to, to, to let people know about my childhood. That was my personal thing. I didn't want see, in, in my head, it was as if he'd, be, if, if he'd, he'd, if I'd lost, been beat with him. Do you know what I mean? Like, like, and I didn't want to be beat at anything. And, mm. and, and, you know, what I, what I went through, it would either make me or break me. I think it made me. I don't, it didn't break me because I would just wouldn't give in to him. But it was hard to let people know about my childhood. It, it was really hard for me. for so long. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it was hard for me. Even though I know I'm an old man now, but it was really hard, even at the age I am now. It's, I haven't read the books, I don't read about it. Have um, you? No, I haven't. No, I don't read it. You're thinking about doing a part two? This, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. It's um, a couple of his friends have got together, and it's so, do you know, considering Hartlepool's a small place, it, there's a hell of a lot of interesting little characters in, yeah. in it, and it always seems to be full of incidents. That yeah. person had a fight, that place, that they just, yeah. you know, and I grew up. Like I said, um, 12 miles away, never really had anything to do with Hartlepool apart from going to boxing shows. And uh, obviously we've got to know Richie and that and he's introducing it myself. And, that, you know, and I thought, well, people are really, really interested. There's never really yeah. been any kind of them books from Hartlepool. Um, so, and I think that's why people have just went mental. And obviously he's quite well liked as well. The um, Yeah. I, and when I got into the book, I enjoyed doing it. I did, the, like... Not, Therapeutic, isn't it? Not yeah. about me... We passed the bit. What what did mm. run? It's um. And do you have any regrets then, looking back at your life? No, no regrets. You say you regret the saying you're wrong, isn't it? Has yeah. your wife read your book? Yes, she got it on the Kindle one. Did she? Yeah. 
I'm looking at, I'm looking this at next one, you know what well. we're doing. This um, is Philly Tobin and Alan A. And me doing this. It's all about the funny parts are happening on the mm. door. So, you know, the funny bits are happening. Yeah. And about the characters and that. But it's going to be a good read. Yeah. It really yeah. is. Because you went to prison, but you strike me as the kind of person that wasn't living a criminal lifestyle. Yeah. You were Very just yeah, protective, no. kind of a yeah. protective person, really. Yeah. You didn't start any trouble. No. And, um, you know, you were just trying to make an income, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. But I found an easy way to do it. That's very true. I've always said that about Mick. Yeah. You know, considering he was in that world where he had to be among that type of characters. Yeah. He, he's never been a drug dealer or kind of, you know, just hitting people for nothing. It's, it's always no, I, been. It's always been. No, I couldn't be like. I'd yeah. be like my dad then. Of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing. I couldn't do you it. You know, he's always been. You know, if he if he had the same time again, he'd go back and say, right, I'm going to become an electrician or something. But at the time, unfortunately, in the... What year were you born? 48. So, 48, so, yeah, he looks fabulous for his age. But yeah. in the 60s, all he knew how to do was kind of have a fight. fight and, and, he, and, and, you know, he made best use of it and uh, basically <laughs> provided for, for his family for yeah. it. Waking every pub in the town. Every yeah. pub in the town of Waking. Yeah. And what's your plans now for your future? Well... I'm spending a lot of time with my grandkids and my great grandkids, because I know I haven't got a lot of time left. Mm. But yeah, oh, I'm it. It bother me, but now I'm resigned to the fact that I know it's going to kill me. You've accepted that, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know there's a people who west off than me, so there's no point me twisting on about it. I was in Great Ormond Street when my um, sister's little baby had leukemia. I spent the day in, uh, and all the little kids with no her, we, you know, we were playing yeah. with them and everything. And my sister said, see those that little kid there and those parents, that kid's not even going to make it to Christmas. Really? Oh. And I, 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 um, how old did like, like the, 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 My sister's kid was one and a half when she was diagnosed with leukaemia. They're just like tiny little kids. So um, I was supposed to just walk back to the tube station and go home, and I couldn't. I ended up walking around London for hours just thinking yeah. about the meaning of life and how can this happen. Yeah. yeah. It just, it, it, it just does it, does it make you think. Is there a god? Yeah, does it make you think. It makes you think a lot of things, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. So, um, credit to you, bravery man. You're being mm. a stoic, stoic attitude there about about it. Well, yeah, no point in twisting on about, is it? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I had a friend in prison. I wrote his life story. Actually, two Tonys, the mafia philosopher, and um, he he was the same. He 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 got liver cancer. I think he was um, in his 60s. They did the chemo, and the chemo was really wearing him down. He was like, fuck it, I'm just going to oh, go out. Yeah. Just going to go out um, without doing the chemo, just make the most of what I've got yeah. left. That's that's what he that's what his attitude was. Is he gone now? He's gone. He went in 2010. Yeah, yeah. He didn't, he didn't live long enough to see the publication of his book, unfortunately, which was something he was looking forward to. Yeah. So, um, to the people watching this, I'm sure they've been really gripped by all the stories. Really appreciate you coming in, Mick. No, thank you for having yeah, me. Yeah, and, and, and Jamie as well. Is, is there anything you guys would like to say in conclusion to the people watching and how, uh, how can they support you guys? Yeah, well, I uh, I obviously you could notice a difference because of my, I was anxiety. What That thing I'm not allowed to say, I'm taking that as well. Uh, and that's done me the world of good. Um, I'm going to be seeing you again on Sunday with Alex Reid. 
the very venerable Alex Reed, very likable. <laughs> um, and Mick, I just, you know, after some of the people I've worked with, as I said to Richie Orsi, I said, I just wish everyone was as easy as him. Pro uh, professional, just, he's there. Uh, we're going to do a second book, Hartlepool Born and Bred 2. It's going to be full of comical, yeah. you know, just lots of... It's going to be funny. Hartlepool yeah. history, all the characters over the years. And, um, you know, I'm getting a lot of following out from Hartlepool. And I know it's because of him. But, um, you know, you know, out of everyone I've worked with, he's, even my wife says, he's like, do you know what I mean? So we've just really talked to him and uh, let's get his book done. We're going to be doing a little YouTube documentary myself and uh, Paul Suggett after lockdown, um, Fakar Productions. So, no, it's just been an absolute pleasure yeah. with uh, with him. And anyone wants to buy the book, Hartlepool Born and Bred, it's in Waterstones, Amazon, Kindle. Um, Sean's going to have it on Goodreads soon. And um, it's very, very Hartlepool. That's why it's got the I'd, pictures of the monkey on it because yeah. they hung a monkey and all this. And but um, you know, it, it, it's it's sad actually. It is really sad. At the childhood, and you think, how could another man, human being, treat, treat a little boy like that? It, it defies humanity. But there's there's and funny sides. A few times he said when he's been bashing me, mother said, "One, get off him, leave him alone. You're going to kill him." He said, "He's not mine, is he?" Yeah. He? He's not, yeah no, so fuck, he's not mine. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. But well, yeah, was he? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, mother, you know, she did, didn't have a very good with them. But, you know, my mother, when she was younger, you know, she was left in charge of a brother and a brother got killed. Mm. And um, her dad affected her, you know, yeah, all course, her life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm, yeah. traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. So if you are watching this video then and you would like to spot Jamie and he's, you know, like I said, prolific, 20 books. Gadfly Press has, has published the majority of them in audio books. So many, I can't even remember them off the top of my head right, right now, but the, the best-selling ones are uh, the Lee Duffy ones. There's three of those now, isn't there, at least? There's three Lee Duffy ones, three Paul Sykes ones. Sykes as well, yeah. Um, I that's going to be signed to be a film. Sykes pictures. ones are doing good it as was well. In, yeah, yeah. In, in the papers. And um, my YouTube channel is Warcry Publishing. Yeah. I'm at Twitter, at Jamie Boyle 10. Um, and, yeah, anyone can get me on that if they want yeah. to get in touch with me. It's listening to your audio books. It's like giving me so much more information about the Duffy and got me mm. really fascinated into it. Yeah, well, I'm with a filmmaker next, well, maybe this week, um, and he's a guy who's the, the head of the Duffy. But, and, and I personally think, in my opinion, that is just a sleeping giant ready to be a walk. Yeah. Um, it's only a matter of time before someone really comes and does the film. Yeah. Obviously, Paul Sykes has been picked up by Western Edge Pictures. They've just made a yeah. film now called Rare Beast with Billy Piper. I don't know if you've heard of it. So that's oh, literally, yeah. you, so that's yeah. literally the next thing now is they're going to be doing the Paul Sykes documentary and and um, and film. So, so and there's three Sykes audio books as well, isn't there? They're mind blowing too. The Sykes stories. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. that's that's what. You know, I've said this loads of times, Sean, but 2012, I had never had any... When I was boxing, I had no idea about Wakefield. Never interested me. It was a place like Coventry, Milton Keynes. You knew existed, but you didn't know. And I watched that Paul Sykes documentary in 2012, and and for three years I obsessed over it. And then I walked into the story, read the books, watched the documentary, met all the characters, and now it's like it's gone crazy, you know, and it's just... As I said, it's nothing about glamorising him. He was a totally, totally bad guy, but fascinating. It's a bloody funny story. What a, what a yeah. character. And you yeah. just think how, you know, it's almost like, because Ricky Gervais, Robbie Williams, 
Bob Mortimer, um, I spoke to a few comedians, and they've, the League of Gentlemen, they've actually based some of Paul Sykes' traits in comedies. Wow. Um, so it's, it's mind-blowing, absolutely mind-blowing. Yeah, so we have mentioned numerous people we've had on the True Crime podcast, Internet's podcast. If you, the link for that, the playlist in the description box. So if you want to check out those videos as well, it's, it's endless, all these stories of the Northern hard men. And shout out to the people of Hartlepool. We'll definitely be putting Hartlepool in the title um, for this video as well. So um, hope you've enjoyed this. Please let us know in the comments. Huge thank you to all the new subscribers. Subscription logos in the corner of the screen. Can't wait to hear what people think about this video. And of course, huge thank you. Mick for coming in. Thank you. And, uh, can, I just, can I just say something? Yeah, yeah, go for it. I'd like to thank Jamie for the good job he done in the book. Absolutely, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on, on my, all the books. My very pleasure. Well, very well written indeed. Yeah, yeah absolute pleasure. And uh, I, one question I do get asked a lot yeah. about the big fella. Do you think we can do a book together or something on him? Yeah, everything that we, you know, originally discussed. Let's that's, talk that's, about the weekend. That's all something we can to totally proceed with. Absolutely. Right, yeah, marvellous. Yeah, yeah. Right, thank you so much, John. Yeah. All right, guys. Thanks right. for watching. Cheers. Take care out there. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.